because multifamily is just naturally bigger than single family, we, we can classify things that are normally improvements for single family homes. We can classify them as repairs for multifamily. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode and the interview with our best ever guest, I want to mention Fund That Flip because Fund That Flip is an online lender that gives you fast, convenient access to really affordable money that you need for your flip project. So if you're doing residential flips, then the main thing I imagine that you're focused on uh, or the main two things are the deal and the money. Uh, So if you've got the deal pipeline, but you need access to cash and you want to build a reputation within a, uh, a group that will continue to invest their dollars into your deals, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. The founder of Fund That Flip is Matt Rodak, and he's actually one of my very first guests on the show. It's episode number seven. Um, so if you have a chance, go check that out too. familiarize yourself with Matt and what he's all about. But when you're needing money and you want an online lender that provides fast, convenient access to affordable capital for your flipping projects, then Fund That Flip's the way to go. Their team has over 200 deals under their belt. And uh, you can actually, this is crazy, you can actually be approved immediately within 30 seconds once you put in your information. Uh, so go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever and get some money for your flipping projects. Hi, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and with us today, we've got a Best Ever guest who's going to educate us on some interesting things as multifamily investors, if you're a multifamily investor, can do from a tax standpoint because he is a CPA and owner of Hall CPA, which will make a lot more sense why that the, the company is called that when I introduce him. So how you doing, Brandon Hall? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, nice to have you on the show. Brandon is a CPA, as I alluded to earlier. He leverages a combination of both his big four accounting experience as well as his personal real estate investing experience to uh, work with his clients and save him some money. He specializes in real estate and small business tax and equity entity structure, uh, and he's based in Washington, D.C. You can say hi to him at hallcpallc.com. And congrats to Brandon. Give him a shout out because he bought his first rental property as an investor, a triplex in North Carolina this year. So Brandon, with that being said, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on? Sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a CPA, um, been providing advice for about three years now, uh, officially opened up my business in January of this year. And that's when I started you know, taking on real clients. Prior to that, I was assisting family members and, and uh, relatives who were in real estate. So I've been kind of around the real estate investing world for a while. Like you said, I picked up my first rental earlier this year. It's a three unit. It's located in North Carolina, which is about 400 miles from where I live. Um, and it, it's been a great experience so far. And hopefully 2016 is going to be good good for me. I'm, I'm planning to pick up two more. As a multifamily investor, you got a three unit and then you also uh, specialize in that with your practice, um, or at least real estate, and then with a close eye towards multifamily what are some some things that we need to be aware of? 
from a tax standpoint? Yeah. So multifamily investors have an advantage over everyone else. The bigger the multifamily, the bigger the advantage is. Um, so the, the way that the tax code's written, if you, if you have a four unit, for instance, and you have to turn one of the units, um, and you replace the flooring, assuming that it's not carpeting, because that's a different story, but let's assume that you replace hardwoods or you replace laminate flooring that's glued down to the floor in just one of the units. Technically that's only 25% of the entire floor. If you take all four units into account which the way that the code is currently written is not a material improvement to the floor and could be a deductible expense. Okay, that's that's good to know. So we've got, because I know there's a difference between repairs and improvements, right? Exactly. And, and multifamily investors, they, they have more, more of an adva- advantage when it comes to repairs versus improvements because as 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 investors as finance people we want working capital today we want we want to be able to take advantage of that money today so we want to try to classify things as repairs as often as possible and because multifamily is just naturally bigger than single family we we can classify things that are normally improvements for single family homes we can classify them as repairs for multifamily i have another great example if for instance there's there's somebody that i know out in the midwest owns a 50 unit apartment building he needs to replace the HVAC units. All the HVAC units are, are attached to the building. So they're all made up, all, all 50 HVAC units make up one HVAC system. If he replaces 10 HVAC units in any given year, he's only replacing 20% of the HVAC system, which is not a material improvement to the HVAC system. So technically, he can deduct currently the cost of those 10 HVAC units. So it's just things like that, that multifamily investors have over, over anybody else, even business owners, multifamily investors can really control how much taxable income that they report on their, uh, on their tax, tax returns. In that example, replacing the needing to replace all 50, but replacing them at, you know, in chunks at a time, What's the threshold when it when it bleeds over into an improvement versus a repair? So the threshold is still to be found out. The regulations that I'm referring to are called the tangible property regulations. They were enacted January 1st, 2014. So we're still waiting to see basically some litigation play out. Who's going to have the aggressive accountant that claims everything? <laughs> but yeah, from from my understanding and my conversation with other CPAs in the industry, a threshold, the safe threshold is about 30%. I prefer to drop that down a little bit to 20, 25%. Got it. Okay. So what, can you give a couple more examples of that and maybe what would and what wouldn't as far as, you know, you mentioned HVAC, uh, you mentioned the hardwood or, or laminate flooring versus carpet. What, what are a couple other things? Yeah. So the the IRS defined units of property, other units of property. Um, so, for instance, the HVAC system is a unit of property. So the, the system as a whole is looked at as one piece of property. That's why you, when you replace less than 25 percent, it's not a material improvement to the property itself. So other units of property include the electrical systems. Same rules apply. Plumbing systems, the entire building structure as a whole. Um, yeah, you can really really dig into it and uh, and really break it down if you if you want to. What period of time do you need to wait in order to do that next chunk of stuff? Well, you could replace 10 HVAC units on 
December 31st and then another 10 on January 1st if you if you wanted to. It just needs to be yeah when when you're strategizing when you want to take when you, when you want to include tax strategy in your overall investment strategy, you need to think about timing. What what how are you going to time different repairs and different improvements to maximize your tax savings? So um, one thing that I work with a lot of my investor clients on is planning in December, what type of repairs do we need to do? What type of tools do we need to buy that we're going to use in the future? So it's a feasible, it's something feasible, so you're not just blowing money. Um, but what can we do today that we can take advantage of today versus you know next year or a couple of years down the road? So instead of if, if 20 HVAC units go today, let's replace 10 by December 31st and replace another 10 starting January 1st, if possible. What uh, now, now can you break it down from a for sort of a higher level? What would be the benefit? I'm sure most best ever listeners know the, the kind of the difference between repair and improvement, but can you just tell us why so much focus or why is this an important thing in terms of dollars in pocket? Sure. So there's two key reasons. Um, I'll say the first one is depreciation recapture upon sale is a horrible thing. Um, depreciation is a phantom expense. That's what everybody says. Depreciation is a phantom expense until the property is sold. Then it's not so phantom anymore because you're paying 25% on all the depreciation you've taken um, unless you defer it via a 1031 or a charitable remainder trust or something else like that. When you, when you classify something as a repair, it avoids the depreciation recapture issue. So you really get that full deduction and you get it today. It's not spread out over a number of years and you never have to pay it back. Um, so that, that's the number one reason that we want to classify things as repairs over uh, over improvements just just from that depreciation recapture perspective. The second thing I'll say is just tax minimization is key. If you ever want to be wealthy, you really need to make tax planning a focus. It, it constantly amazes me that all these people want to be wealthy, yet they spend their time avoiding things like Starbucks lattes rather than focusing on their largest annual expenditures, which is generally going to be taxes. Agreed. Agreed. And these are some uh, really, really thought-provoking uh, comments, especially for, I mean, it's, it's not only, it's not only multifamily, right? Like even single family uh, improvements versus repairs, the, the same tax code, the tangible property regulations, does that apply towards the single family stuff too? It does. So the, the tangible property regulations apply to all real estate, all landlords. The problem with single family is if you replace the HVAC unit, you're replacing a material portion. Ah, uh, the whole thing, yeah. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Got it. So it's it's improving versus you know it's replacing part of the percentage of the system. So if you had, for whatever reason two AC units, or I guess maybe three. Okay. Now I'm stretching. Uh, three AC units. And a I forget that. <laughs> yeah. Then I'd be like, what's your investment strategy there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want my residence to be super comfy during the hot summer nights. All right. I, on your three unit that you got, what, how'd you find it? And what are the numbers? Sure. So I piggybacked off my parents' team it was in an area that I grew up in. So I was pretty comfortable with the area, though. I will say investing from a distance has given me a lot of confidence that I'm going to leverage in the future. So piggybacked off my parents team, it had just fall. It, it just fallen out of contract and put back on market. And by, I think within two hours of it being on market, we had an offer in 
Um, I got I got it for ninety one thousand eight hundred dollars. I put twenty five percent down, and it rents for it grosses sixteen oh five a month, and I cash flow seven hundred dollars a month. That's great. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't bad. I, I will say that that I had to replace the roof within the first month. Um, that was an interesting experience. Yeah, that that that's the, my that was gonna be my follow up question. How much did you have to put into it to have it be moving ready? Well, the nice thing was when I closed, it was already two of the units were already rented, and we had another one lined up for the third. So I didn't actually have to put anything into it for it to be moving ready. Um, but what happened was during my due diligence period, I had roofing contractors too go out and tell me what the roof looked like because I did this for two reasons. One, it's a mansard roof, so it has vertical sides, and there were so it's nice and pretty. Yeah, nice and pretty. They were a uh, and expensive. There, there are a few shingles missing, um, so I wanted to make sure that that was okay and that there was that that wasn't a problem. And they came back and they said, "Yeah, it's fine. It'll actually cost. It'll end up hurting it more if we have to poke more holes into it just to pin a few shingles up." But I, I wanted them. I also wanted them out there to. I'm building out, or I was building out a capital expenditure budget so that I can understand how much I need to be putting into capex reserves each month. Um, so those are the two reasons that I that I had them sent out there. About a couple weeks after closing, uh, the insurance company sent out sent out an inspector, and they were like, "Hey, you need to get this repaired." So I went back to those guys that that I had sent out there previously, and they were like, "Oh yeah, we don't do repairs on Mansard, but we'll give you a full re-roof." <laughs> oh, of course. yeah, of course, right? So I, I contacted a few others in the area, and um, it's it's a tertiary market, so there's not a lot of options. Uh, What's the market? It's Hickory, North Carolina. Okay. How close is that to the nearest city, and what's that city? Uh, it's 45 minutes from Charlotte and about an hour and a half from Raleigh. Okay. So you you got, you got had some other calls in to people, and what happened? Yeah, uh, the message was the same thing. It was just, yeah, we don't we do not do repairs for Mansards, but we'll, we'll replace the full thing. So I was just like, you know what, whatever. It, it only had about four years left on it. I, I kicked myself because I was like, I should have been smarter there and understood that that was definitely a risk and been ready to take that down. Um, so there's a little bit of scrambling involved, but I was able to uh, get it replaced. It was it was expensive though, sixty eight hundred bucks. Mm. And what type of warranty do you have on that? Uh, ten year, ten year warranty. Okay. And how long is it? Are you anticipating it will last? Uh, that's the thing. I when I'm talking to these contractors. Their, their lingo for roofs and everything, it was just very hard to understand. I have 50-year shingles on it. The one guy wanted to put like 80-year shingles on it, and I was like, yeah, yeah right. I'm not, I'm not going to live another 80 years. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so I got 50-year shingles on it. I don't know if I'll hold it within that 10 years. Um, I wanted I pushed him for the 10-year warranty. He wasn't going to give it to me eventually at the beginning, but then I kept pushing for it. Um, so he gave me the 10-year warranty, and I think that I'll probably – sell within 10 years, uh, mainly to mainly to capitalize on the IRR before it uh, depreciates too much. And what do you mean by that? So the longer that you hold a property, your IRR will deteriorate each year, unless you are going to sell the property for some big gain or unless your area is appreciating pretty rapidly. Your IRR uh, constantly depreciates just a little bit every year. Um, so in the first year, you might earn your IRR might be 20 percent. In the second year, it's going to be 18. Third year, it's going to be 16. It just it just takes into account your hold period. And when you're investing, I mean, it's 
it makes sense based on your background that you would be looking at internal rate of return, IRR. It's not typical uh, for investors who have a prop one property to focus on that. They focus more on cash on cash return. How do you reconcile both of those in your valuation? Yeah. So cash on cash, I kind of use as a kind of like a back of the napkin type calculation. I, I use it as a vetting rather than my actual decision making. You can't use, you can't necessarily extrapolate cash on cash across all different markets, but you can with the IRR. So I, I focus on my IRR. Cash on cash doesn't really give you the full picture either. IRR does because it takes into account that hold period and the devaluation of your money as you as inflation occurs and as you hold that money over time. What is your target IRR? Um, I will not invest in anything less than a 15% IRR. Over what period of time? Whatever, whatever gets me that 15%. So the property that I have right now is a seven-year hold. Okay, got it. And w- what's that projecting to be? Uh, right about 16% IRR. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? Get the tax planning under your belt. You know, hire, hire a CPA. You really do need it. Like I said, it is your largest budget item. Even if you think that you don't need it, I guarantee you that there is somebody out there that can find some sort of loophole, some sort of deduction that you can take advantage of. And whatever you pay them for their advice will more than likely be given to you 10 times over in terms of a a rate of return. Can you give a a specific example of that maybe that you've come across? Sure. So... A lot of my individual investors, so I have individual investors and then I also have investment companies that I represent. A lot of the individual investors will focus you know, solely on their real estate or, or their job, their WT job or, or something like that. They'll, they'll, they'll have 401ks down, they'll have retirement accounts down and everything. But one thing that's interesting is if you have an HSA, a health savings account, if you if you incur a one thousand dollar expense in January for going to the dentist, that's a qualifying medical expense. So if you come see me in December and I find out that you've you've incurred this expense, what I'll say is deposit one thousand dollars into your HSA, let the statement roll over so that it shows up on the statement, and then pull the money back out because you can reimburse yourself from your HSA with qualifying medical expenses. So you get the reimbursement. Um, and you get to, to write off that $1,000 because you can deduct your contributions to your HSA. So that's just like something that pretty much across the board, people um, don't really don't take advantage of. And is that for W-2 employees or entrepreneurs or is that for both? It's for everybody. Anybody that, anybody that has a high deductible health, health plan and has an HSA uh, can use this method. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes. All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. If you need money for your flipping project, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. You'll know within 30 seconds if you're approved or not to get money for your residential flip. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, join me in subscribing to the Family Office Podcast The host, Richard Wilson, you can learn more about him, episode 447. The reason why you'll want to subscribe and listen to this podcast is he talks about how billionaire families think and how to attract the ultra-wealthy into your business. 
the Family Office Podcast. Brandon, what's the best ever book you've read? How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's old, but the concepts still apply. Best ever personal growth experience, and what'd you learn from it? Sure. So it's not really a one-time experience, but it's rather continuous. Um, it's just starting my business. It might sound cliche, but once you realize that you have skills that others value and you start earning money off those skills, your entire perspective of life and money in general just changes. You, you realize you don't need that corporate W-2 to live, uh, and you realize that the only limits that you have are those that you place on yourself. What's been the most challenging aspect of starting your own company? pricing. <laughs> it is it is extremely difficult to understand how or to understand what my value, how to quantify my value and then how to um, sell that to clients or how to communicate that to clients. And where have you netted out, not in terms of dollars, but as far as how to identify what the value is or the pricing? Yeah. So that's something that I'm still working on for most of my services um, on the tax planning side, that's a value add service. So I can literally look at your returns and ask you a couple questions about your goals and say, okay, this is how much I think I can save you. We'll have a conversation that I'll be like, what do you think the value of the service is? Can I do it at that rate? If yes, then there we go. So I try to implement value pricing into my business. Um, I'm going to continue to try to do that, but I need the data and the data is going to take a couple of years to, uh, to fully consolidate. Best ever way you like to give back? So I'm constantly on bigger pockets, writing articles and answering questions in the forums, uh, do it all for free. Um, that That's currently how I'm giving back. And if you uh, if you do want free advice from me, just jump on bigger pockets and follow me. And what would you say is out of your, you know, the challenges that you've had in, in your business, and then also the successes over the first year that you've started as an entrepreneur, what would you say is the main highlight? I think that the main highlight is, is honestly just getting the exposure on bigger pockets. Uh, it, it's the platform that I've used to grow my business. I was uh, lucky enough to be able to write articles for the actual websites before their blog, which just gave me a ton of exposure. So that that's probably the big highlight. And I'm going to continue to I'm going to continue to try to push out content to everybody to touch more people and just help more people. What's the biggest mistake you've made so far in real estate? Yeah. So the biggest mistake is definitely that roof um, and just not understanding what really goes into it and uh, in the process behind, you know, can I get a repair? Can I get an improvement? Asking about those things, or, or sorry, a repair versus a replacement, asking about those things up front, and then just understanding the process on the back end, working with the contractors. That was like the first time that I've done it by myself, working with the contractors, I mean. Um, so yeah, the whole roof, that was, that was the mistake, just not understanding exactly what goes into it. But it's a learning experience, and I will leverage that knowledge next time. And you, you caught yourself when you said improvement versus replacement. Is there a difference? Uh, there's there's not, no. A, a roof is an okay. improvement. <laughs> got it, got it, got it. Okay. What's the best ever place the best ever listeners can reach you? My website, hallcpallc.com or my email, brandon.hall at hallcpallc.com. Well, I'm confident, my friend, that this was a uh, money-saving episode for many of the best ever listeners in the community, and I I, uh, thank you for that. It was money-saving for me, too. I thank you for that personally, and then also on behalf of 
uh, the best ever listeners. I mean, uh, repair versus improvements, that's something I'm familiar with, but I wasn't aware of the uh, tangible property regulations that you said uh, came into force January 1st of 2014. And basically, uh, that allows us to classify things as rep- well, we should classify things as repairs as frequently as possible. And there's no definitive line on how we repair the items, but the, the based on your conversations, staying in the 20% range, so rep- repairing uh, about 20% of a, a system and doing that incrementally over a period of time uh, could be each day, could be whatever fits the, your business plan. You can get in with those repairs and uh, versus them being classified as improvements. And the benefit to that, you said two reasons, primary reasons. One is it avoids the depreciation recapture uh, and then upon sale. Uh, and, then, and there are ways you can get around that, as, as you mentioned, the charitable trust or a 1031 exchange. But uh, it, it does uh, avoid that. And then two is it minimizes your taxes. And uh, that's always a good thing. From a from a bottom line standpoint, and then first off, did I capture all that correctly? Yes, absolutely. Okay, good. Just want to make sure. Uh, and then uh, two is the, the the conversation that we had around your your three unit and how you focus on internal rate of return IRR because it takes into account your hold period and how and basically inflation devaluation of your money versus cash and cash return, which you use just to um, initially, pencil the deals versus uh, you know, your your overall measurement stick for the success of the property, uh, and I, th- I think that's it's it's a great way to go because you know so often we we talk about our uh, we, we we I hear about cash on cash return, but you know it, it doesn't factor in uh, those things as far as what how long did you have the money in uh, and and what were you doing with it if if you if you, what could you have done with it if, if you had it back sooner so really taking into account the time factor which is important so thank you so much for being on the show sharing your best ever advice with the best ever listeners and I hope you have a best ever day I'll talk to you soon thanks Joe If you need money for your flipping project, then go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. You'll know within 30 seconds if you're approved or not to get money for your residential flip. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Best ever listeners, join me in subscribing to the Family Office Podcast. The host, Richard Wilson, you can learn more about him, episode 447. The reason why you'll want to subscribe and listen to this podcast is he talks about how billionaire families think and how to attract the ultra wealthy into your business. The Family Office Podcast.